0: Major League Baseball is finally back. Go Mets. As the new season gets underway, the Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with the Ringer MLB Show, playing exclusively on the TuneIn app for the month of April. On top of that, the Ringer Podcast Network has partnered with TuneIn to give baseball fans a free 60-day trial of TuneIn Premium to listen to every single live home call from every single MLB game around the league. Catch the Ringer MLB Show only on TuneIn during April, and with your premium subscription, listen to live MLB games on TuneIn. Just go to TuneIn.com slash Ringer and subscribe. Download the TuneIn app and start listening today. TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hey guys, Sean here. Chris and I went down to South by Southwest a few weeks ago and had a chance to sit down with the filmmaker Joe Swanberg and the actor Jake Johnson, who you may know from New Girl. They have a new movie on Netflix called Win It All. And this conversation is all about that movie. So please enjoy.
1: Hello, my name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. I'm joined in the studio in Austin, Texas with my friend and co-worker Sean Fennessey, who's also an editor. Hello. And we are so excited because we are joined today by Jake Johnson and Joe Swanberg, who have a movie at South by Southwest. They have Win It All, which we just saw last night. Rousing crowd approval. Rating, I think <laughs> it was a delightful movie. And I think I would say that me and Sean's review of the film is we turned to each other at the end of the movie and said, how far do you think it is to drive to Oklahoma so that we can immediately go play cards? <laughs> Which is, the, it's the seal of approval for yes, any gambling movie. Totally even if it's also about crippling addiction. Yeah. I gotta say that one means
2: a lot. <laughs> yeah. After the movie, I was we went to you know uh, the after party and we were talking to people and the conversation got into a lot, the circle I was in about like the addiction of gambling. Yeah. I'm also a gambler. And I realized everybody I was talking to, I had a different read on where I'm like, oh, every time I see that movie, I do feel sad for Eddie. I want to play poker. I would love to play Hold'em. I would love if there was, I said, tonight with the after party and the dance party. I'm like, if somebody walked up to me and said, "Uh, this could be a bit, but there is a home game going on. It's a $500 buy-in. I would have kissed him on the lip. I'll see you tomorrow at press. I'm gone with these strangers. I'm playing cards. And that night I would stay up all night.
0: So you guys wrote this movie together. Jake, obviously, you're a gambler. Joe, are you a gambler? I am not. Well, I'm a
3: gambler in life. I'm not a card player. Okay. So I uh, I just uh, gamble on movies. So that's my addiction.
1: Did you, like, take down Topher Grace?
2: Uh, no, I've always been low stakes. Okay. <laughs> so I took down some dude who might have looked like Topher okay. Grace. Okay. But I want to clarify one thing that Joe said, because if I was listening and he said, you know, I'm a gambler in life, I would think, ah, it's just a line. He actually is. And the way I'll back that up, is we finance these movies. So we don't make it. And I say at the QA, it's not a situation where, you know, we say it's an indie movie and really Universal paid for it. Right. And they give some notes, but we're like, they were the coolest, coolest executives. There's nobody. It's when we did Digging for Fire, Joe convinced me that the move on these would be to have total control is to finance them. And so we wrote personal checks. And my lawyer, my agent, everybody said, the way an actor really loses in Hollywood is when you start going into your bank account to do your own <laughs> yeah. project. Yeah. And I google it and I would see like actors where I'm like and that's not Brandon Fraser, but he popped it in my head for no reason. No disrespect, Brandon <laughs> Fraser. But I'd be like, oh, like that guy, he's broke. Weird. Why? Oh, he funded like Waterworld or yeah. something. Or his
1: dream project. His right? dream project, yeah, right. where it's
2: like, oh, yeah. he's a baseball player on Mars or something. I'm like, that's a weird idea. And then I'm like, oh, I might be doing that with Joe. And Joe's like, but trust me, man, we're putting this in. And then as it works, I would realize Joe is really gambling. Like, house money. Yeah. You know, like, like, literally. Like, this is the house for my family. But he's like, man, I know we can do it. And I was like, oh, I play cards. But he's actually the bigger gambler. (laughs)
1: Joe, have you seen Hearts of Darkness, the documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now? Uh,
3: No, I never have. It was made by Coppola's wife, Yeah, it's
1: all about, like, he just puts up every asset he has. Well,
3: I totally relate to that. And the story I always heard was that he, in the midst of making Apocalypse Now, had to shut down production... And he went and made two studio movies real quick to earn some money to go back and finish <laughs> yeah. Apocalypse Now.
1: He's like he's also had like Martin Sheen having a heart attack on, yeah. on, yeah. on, yeah. on set, so that probably like this is totally
3: it. like uh, disconnected from anything. But the fact that that guy's kids are all successful filmmakers, to me, shows he must love movies. Yeah, because most people grow up in a house with a parent who does something who's obsessed with something. And it makes them the opposite. They're just like, the movie industry destroyed my dad. I never, you know. Yeah. Instead, it's like he, his joy of it must be infectious.
1: Did you grow up in a, a movie-loving house? No,
3: I actually grew... Well, you know, my, my mom is really artistic and so was always encouraging that. My dad likes James Bond movies. I mean, he is so not... He's still, most of my movies I've ever shown him he's like I'm proud of you I love you yeah. and then it's just like total glaze it's so not his kind of movie and so this he is would kind rather of like a James
0: Bond movie yeah you know? well this
3: is I, I bet I, I would be willing to put money on this being my dad's favorite of all that I've made probably by a lot um but yeah it was like uh movies were always my thing though I yeah. mean since the time I was a kid I remember but you something pretty- about him felt special.
0: But you put your family now in your movies. I mean, your, yeah, your wife and your son as yeah. well, is Yeah, all- well, my
3: wife's a writer and director mm-hmm. as well, and yeah. But you know, I think we're fa- we're phasing out. It was really nice for us to document him when he was at an age where that stuff couldn't really affect him. Now that he's getting a little older and he's more aware of it, I think we're phasing out having him be in the movies just because. I don't want, you know, I mean he's he goes to public school in Chicago. Like right. I don't want him to be like, "Ooh, you're the kid from the movies." Or right. friends with whoever.
0: What's it like making, you know, obviously Jake, you're on a network sitcom, you've got a Hollywood career, but also you're making this very, you know, smaller project, very personal project. Is it a lot different to make that transition to be working with so closely with Joe's family?
2: Um um, no because we've done I think Joe's family has been in every movie we've done yeah, together yeah um, so so this is our third one together and uh, Drinking Buddies was the big uh, mind warp for me in that uh, you know I was doing New Girl I because of our bit I want to call it Girlfriends on UPN yeah. <laughs> it's a bit that's too long to explain <laughs> to listeners but it was based off something else um, but that was when when I met Joe it was after season one and uh, or during season one and he pitched me his model about how to make uh, movies and how it could be. And on that one, he said, uh, there'll be short days. Uh, you can have an IPA or two if you want. It's about a guy who works in a beer brewery. We're going to improvise a lot. Um, and I guarantee you every day will be fun. And I go, well, I'm just coming off a really big job. You know, the hours were like 16 hour days. Season one, I'm like, I think I just want to be in Chicago and see family. And he's like, you'll see them all the time. And I yeah, but what if I'm like up all that? I'm really tired. I don't want to have to like perform it. And then he goes, if your character is really tired, then we'll make it work that your character was tired that day and we'll put it in the story. And I said to him, all right, man, I got to tell you, you're saying all the right things, but you sound a little bit like a car salesman. And I come from a family of salesmen. So I'm like, I feel like you're selling me a car and I'm going to buy it. But if it's a piece of shit, (laughs) and if you sold me a bad car you're an enemy forever you have to be if i go to chicago and it's a bust and it's actually 12 hour days and you actually do the director thing that a lot of them do and that is say like oh man we're gonna improvise and have fun and then you get on set and they go totally i want to get it your way but we're running out of time could you say this which i wrote last night and you say you want me to enter the room and go what up my dog i, I like i can't my character quote unquote wouldn't do that and they go like we just need it once and i go but if you are the real deal, and it is that, and then the movie's good, I'll work with you forever, yeah. man. And the process was a blast. And when I say, people say, I'll, I've done these interviews with Ogo, like, it's just a party. It's not. It's work. But it's a really fun way to do work. And so that was the one that kind of blew my mind. So now, you know, doing Digging for Fire and this one, it's just, it's a model that Joe started that now we're forming our version within it, our little, like, you know, subsect or what have you. And I just love it.
1: You talked a little bit about gambling. And I think that one of the great things about this movie is that um, I, you know, I always felt like I was in a safe pair of hands while I'm watching it. You know, the, we, there was a couple of questions last night at the Q&A about like, why I expected something really dark mm-hmm. to happen. We were actually even teasing out like what were some of the various darker endings that could have happened. <laughs> but you are gambling with tone. I mean, there must it must be a real tight rope walk to. No, I mean, I thought the music did a really good job of like yeah. establishing like a kind of safety net around the movie in a weird way. But can you talk a little bit about finding the the tone or the voice of this mm-hmm. movie and how hard it is to maintain that?
3: Uh, well, for the first time ever, we found it on paper before we got to set. I mean, Jake and I really challenged ourselves to write this one, and you know, we showed it to people. Jay Gasner at UTA gave a lot of nice feedback and various other people, and so uh, I think we learned through that process of sharing the script. That the movie was way more intense than we, you know, we saw, I, I coming off of Digging for Fire, we were like, let's make a comedy. Right. We have so much fun shooting these things. The tone on set is always really light. It feels off to do something then heavy, to sort of like turn off the uh, energy and sort of channel that into uh, a kind of contemplative vibe. Let's see what it feels like if we channel that back into something funny. So as we're writing the script, we're laughing a lot. But as we started to share that, people were like, "Whoa, I'm sweating. I mean, this—it feels so tense. Yeah. I'm midway through the movie, and I don't know what's going to happen to this guy. It's really stressing me out." And we were like, "Really? Well, I guess this <laughs> is Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so we had a little bit of a, a you know advanced knowledge that we were maybe playing in that space. But it is one of the nice things about uh, just making the movie ourselves. Nobody was attempting to push us out of that space. And I think it's, it, you know, it's an aspect that we felt like it worked. Yeah. We were like, I would watch that movie. So, yes. If we would watch it and we would yeah. love it, hopefully other people would love it. But first and foremost, we're gonna we, like have, we have to make a movie we're really yes. proud so of. So we're in a and... weird
2: spot to then open up about it where we put our own money in digging for fire and then we made our money back and we made a little bit more money. So this movie was essentially house money. Yeah. So part of the game for it was, well, win it all. And what part of when it all meant to us as a title is we want to make a movie that we think is a good movie. So if the critics hate it, people don't like it, then they don't like what Joe and I like together. And that's fine, because if it all tanks and nobody bought it and everyone hated it, we're even. Right. But let's at least try to do something that we like. And in terms of tone, the nightmare happens is when you go to a studio and you have executives and they're paying, they have to think, how do we market it? And they go, well, is it a comedy or is it a drama? Because if it's a comedy, guys, this stuff, the, ste- the stakes are too high for Eddie. So what if, what if, what if there was no guy in bag? Yeah. And you go, what? And they go, what if, what if no, he didn't owe anybody money. He was just a gambler who met her. And you go, I don't know. And they go, well, we're going to try that. Then we're in a situation where we're trying to make that movie and people watch and go, there were some funny bits, but I didn't like it. So what's really nice about this model for us is... I personally, I really wanted Netflix. We didn't show the movie to anybody else before. We, they saw a rough cut, wanted it. That's exactly where I, I wanted it to live. Um,
0: why Why did you want that? Um,
2: I don't want to do uh, the theater push on something like this and go city to city and try to get people in Dallas to get excited about it and do a morning show where I'm talking to you know two people doing this 6 a.m. weather and then go... Win it all. It's about Eddie Garrett, a small town gambler, who's <laughs> giving a bag and having to go like, sounds scary. Well, it sure is. And I'm going to tell you what's scary about it, because those people watching that show that morning, I don't know if they're going to love this. Yeah. But I do think there'll be a percentage of people who do really love this and claim this movie as theirs. And I think those people know how to find things they like. And I think those people would rather watch it at home, either alone, with a friend, significant other, whatever their galaxy is. And I want to go, well, I just let's just go straight to them.
1: It also enters almost immediately into the rewatchability canon where it's like, you know, you grow, grow up and somebody had HBO and you would just watch Die Hard yeah. 30 times That's right. in the summer. But, like, this movie has beats and parts of it. I mean, I know that you will watch it again to, like, analyze the cards.
0: Yeah. Once once you got into the nitty gritty in the third act, I was like, cool, what, what hand is he holding? What's <laughs> 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 really happening here? What's, what's the So he, here's fun <laughs>
2: trivia in terms of the hands. So I'm a big poker player. Joe isn't. But Joe is the filmmaker, and so we were always doing something that Joe would have to go, this is entertaining enough for me. So I'm watching it. I care, but he is like, I don't care. I was the the foil.
3: I was like, I'm your general audience that doesn't know anything about cards, so I got to like what I'm watching. I don't want to make the poker movie. I want to make sure we get the poker right, but also I'm not going to go watch the poker movie. So let's make sure we're hitting both audiences. And so, yeah, we were like the checks and balances. But then here's how we
2: actually shot it, which was really fun. That all those casinos you saw were built. So uh, S- uh Swanberg has this unbelievable crew. We're the people with the women's name who built those sets.
3: Amy Holtenberg was our production oh. designer. Too. So she built yeah. that
2: out of scratch.
3: For no money. The I mean it's crazy.
2: Ca- the casino in Chinatown. Did you to end your yeah. plans, no, we yeah. were okay. in an alley in Chinatown and then we when you go inside, we're on a set okay. that they built. Wow. It it felt real. Yeah. Then in terms of extras, rather than getting characters, we just got like fifty to a hundred gamblers and gave them, there was no money, but everybody got chips. And I would sit at a table with people with a real dealer and I would we would all, everyone's like, so what do we do? And we'd go, let's just run games. And I'd be like, guys, we're just playing, we're not playing for money, we're all having fun. But once you have chips in front of you, because everyone have the same amount of chips, people started getting really competitive. <laughs> so at first somebody would do something and then I would show a bluff to let people know, like I'm coming after you. So once you get got in front of everybody, everyone's like, well, I don't want that again. And then the camera was just constantly moving around the game. So we were all told, don't pay attention to the camera, just play cards. And so when you would be a big winning hand, it's because the table was winning. We had other tables where we were playing blackjack to get everyone together. So everything that you actually see in the movie is based off, we never cheated the hand. We didn't say, this is a win. This is a loss. We just did five or six hands and then put it where we needed it. Did
1: you actually shoot those scenes at night or did you shoot them in the middle of the day, but you had to like drink old style and pretend like it's three in the morning? Well, I Well We shot both because the yeah. truth
3: is those were big days for yeah. us. And so we started shooting it from the day into the night. But it was a really bizarre environment to walk from like blistering sunlight into this really dark sort of like dank feeling Chinatown Casino. Yeah. And it, it was we got event. lost in there. I yeah. mean, that was a trippy day.
2: When I, it was really smoky. It was the weirdest, best group of extras I'd ever been around <laughs> because you're just in it. And we wanted a a group that looked like those casinos look. So you were sitting there at these tables and, you know, a lot of people weren't speaking English and a lot of people were giving each other aggressive eyes. And then some people were really like, but they would win a hand and talk a little shit. And I was like, this really feels real <laughs> yeah. that we're not playing for money. Like, uh, that guy doesn't like me. <laughs> you know, I won a hand and was celebrating. He doesn't realize I was doing it for camera. Yeah. But now he's looking at me like I'm a punk, and I'm like, and I have a little bit of a stomachache. This is amazing.
0: This <laughs> a great moment where you're shit-talking a guy, and you call him Pitbull, right bull. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that actual table was funny is we went to that thing, and we knew because of the suits, we wanted to build up. Uh, Eddie and Nikki are feeling really confident, but they're really, they want to feel confident. And then they come in and the guy makes fun of my outfit and calls me Blues Brothers. Well, the guy with the brown hair was really nervous, the guy who calls me Blues Brothers, but actually geeked up to go. So I was in there. We didn't plan any of the Pitbull stuff at first, but the guy just kept gunning at me. And I was, you know, I was playing nervous. But then at a certain point, I'm like, sitting at a poker table and this guy's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were all like laughing doing one-liners. And I'm like, all right. And at a certain point, I'm like, guys, I got to fight back. A
0: <laughs> so, you know, you talked about the blistering sun that you were walking out from. The movie takes place in Chicago, which I don't know if we've said yet. You know, Eddie's, your character yeah. plays a, a park, a car parker essentially. outside Yeah. Outside of Ragley. Of Ragley, yeah. Um, Obviously, you guys are both from Chicago. Was it important? Did this movie have to be in Chicago? Is that the only way it could have been? I don't done? think there was another version of it no, that we ever No, This is thought a Chicago
2: about. movie. Yeah.
3: And we just did, you know, we did Drinking Buddies in Chicago, then we did Digging for Fire in Los Angeles. And I think it was fun to come back. Yeah. Chicago's, and...
2: uh, it's, it's kind of the home that connects Joe and I. I think it's the thing, one of the things we relate to. It's doing a movie, doing the movie in LA felt like we were doing a, a small indie movie in LA and we had really cool actors. Going back to Chicago feels like, oh, we're doing our movies. Yeah. Where it's like these are where they belong. Like they it just it doesn't feel it wouldn't feel right if I was outside of like the Anaheim Angels parking lot. Yeah, right. It yeah. was like, no, these like these characters in this world base are based off
1: Chicago. The there are moments in the movie where I was just like so blown away by like the weather. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. I couldn't believe like some of the stuff you guys got the when they're first meeting. When Eddie's first meeting when they're on the gazebo yeah, and the lightning goes off in the background, I know. The storm at the track. yeah like, obviously yeah. that's not oh, planned, that's but when that's happening, are you just like, I cannot it's believe it. One of luck. the nice
3: things about working this way is we had we wrote a script for this one, so we knew all the beats, but also because of the improv and because of the open nature of it, uh, we get to be available for what you know, weather that would shut a movie down yeah. normally. To us is like, oh, this is an exciting opportunity. Let's m- figure out how to make this work. And so we got some of our most beautiful shots in the movie from these random acts of nature. Yeah. Now, what's really miraculous <laughs> is he leaves the track after this massive storm and arrives back in Chinatown to start gambling again. And it's raining two separate days. Like oh, really? An indie film never gets this lucky. <laughs> Usually a Hollywood movie gets to wait. They're like, all right, we're checking the weather We'll move the schedule around. It's supposed to rain next Tuesday, so we'll be there Or the James
1: Cameron's rain machine. Yeah, we do not get that.
3: We're like, cool, we got two days in Chinatown. That is it. Yeah, And it was, uh, the continuity, we felt weird about it, actually. We were like, something's going right here in a way that we're going to be punished for this later. Like, we should not be having these things match.
0: Yeah. So, Joe, you said you're not a big gambling guy. not Maybe not even a big gambling movie guy, but the minute we got up from the theater... I heard rounders and yeah, you know yeah. the gamb- the original, yeah. original movie the gambler and mm-hmm. Cincinnati Kid and California Split California Split yeah. obviously so, it's well, probably to me, the biggest cal- one. Cal-
3: yeah. I, I love California Split. Not being a gambling guy, it's one of my favorite movies. I just think it's a perfect movie. So, yeah. so there there is that
0: reference point for sure. Did you guys watch those movies before you started writing or thinking about it, or were you just no. like, this is a memory in my mind? I don't like to do that actually. I don't know we're, about you, no, but, I but
3: we're, we're we're like. Um, I, I, I think we knew these characters in this stuff. It wasn't coming from a movie world. It was coming from a real life world. And so I actually get a little afraid of going back and rewatching stuff because I don't want... I love the essence of the movie. Like like to me, a California Split reference would be a really uh, nice compliment to the movie because I think it's so good. But, you know, hopefully it's in like essence and vibe, not because it's like, oh, they did the shot from California Split. So I'm never... I'm purposely avoiding... Those kinds of reference points, I, I'm sure it came up just because we both love yeah. it, but
2: uh... yeah, uh, I, I didn't, but if there was obviously one, uh, I, I do love all the gambling movies., I just <laughs> yeah. think they're fun. Like every one of rounders is one whenever that's on cable. there goes there's it goes about forty minutes, yeah, in you're in. It's just fun, yeah, uh, but no, we don't like to watch there is so there's a running joke for us, and it's about a guy named Garrett., uh, this character's last name, the production Garrett doubles down. Garrett landscape it, and Garrett is a character. It's an alter ego we've created on our sets where he's basically you know the biggest d bag of all time, of all time, but he's like he believes he's the biggest movie star ever, the hottest hunk, the toughest fighter. The greatest of all time, and Joe is his director, who has been hired by the studio to just get one last movie on this. I'm the,
3: I'm the only guy broke enough that I'll take the job and deal with him,
2: yeah. but so. just really degrades him. And you know, Garrett really believes the crew loves him and loves his bits, but he has no respect for crew. Uh, he has no respect for anybody because the only reason everybody has a job is because of Garrett. So, long story short, the reason to say this is everything we do. There's somewhere in there. There's the heart of Garrett. So for us, it, this one started as we found a story structure where we liked the three-act arc of it. We liked that big peak. We wanted the resolution. We knew the ending. We liked the inciting event. We liked the first act turn. We had enough of those story turns. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, all right, now how do we make the lead guy Garrett? You know, And we don't want to make him a total goober, but we got to have a little bit of Garrett. So you're like, okay, so he's he's this guy going in. That's his brother. And then we filled out all the character after so a California splitter or a rounders wouldn't really help us. Yeah. Outside of being like, we just love how they did it, but there's no once we're past this is our basic story, then we're back into our world trying to make each other laugh.
1: There's little things about Eddie that makes so much sense for the like it, the, the the gold rope chain, um, <laughs> which was like. Just such an interest, like a great touch from like, ah, that guy, you know, like, and it's like a guy who spent like his last 400 bucks on a necklace yeah, know a know few I mean? years back. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. he had a moment like, where he had a little bit of dough or even yeah. like, what, how did you decide to how you were going to do your hair? Cause it's um, like, even that was like, I was like, that's like, that that's all like, came
3: from Jake. I can say like that, uh, you came to me with a really strong idea of his yeah. look and it was not what I would have thought or done. So it was really fun to, to have yeah. you bring that.
2: I've, I feel like I've played cards with that guy a lot. And, you know, when I, 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 for story, exaggerate that I was a degenerate, but I've always been a small stakes guy. But I like sitting in casinos. So I'm somebody, if I'm not working, I could sit and play poker for 20 straight hours and be very happy.
0: Speaking I, my language. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And okay. I'm not, a,
2: but I'm not the the way Eddie was at the table where he's talking and getting into it. I'm the opposite of it. I could sit there quietly. I don't need to small talk. I just like playing. And there was always a guy at the table who pulled in who would have that look, who he would have a vibe where I'm like, I don't think he's got a lot of money on him, but he's really vocal and he's not that good of a player, (laughs) Um, but he's acting like he is. He does all the things he can like flip the, uh, you know, chips. He's got his tricks and he's really aggressive early shows one hand, lets the table know how good he is on a very basic play. And that guy always has like a really nice watch or like, Two rings or a necklace. His hair is like really greasy, but last second to look handsome, he pushes it back, but checks himself in the mirror at the casino when he takes like a bump of Coke or like checks his nose, puts water on his hands, slicks it back. Why? (laughs) Because he looks handsome. Because he looks successful. So I was like, I knew his look because I have sat next to that guy. It seems like for my entire life.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a really uh, like great characterization even letting the g- g- goatee grow in a little bit thicker is like yeah. there's a, there's a lot of really good choices there. But so I'm kind of curious now you guys have made three movies together last night you talked a little bit about feeling each other out on the first one. Yeah. So is this now like a long-term union where you guys are going to keep making movies together? I would say
3: definitely. I mean, it, it I'm like uh I mean, I love to collaborate, and uh, from the very beginning for me, movies were a chance to work with people I liked uh, and learn from other people. It's nice to dive into worlds that I don't know. Like, making it all was really, really fun. Uh, But, you know, I would say I have a hard time uh, uh, trusting collaborators on a level that I now trust Jake. And it's something about doing these three movies together where – Uh, you know, I'm a pretty, it's like to be a director, you got to be pretty self-confident. You have to have a pretty strong idea of saying like, listen, none of us know how this is going to go, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. Even if you don't, even if it's a bluff, Uh, it's just a sort of requirement of that thing. Jake's one of the few people where he's like, I don't know. And now I'm like, okay, tell me why I'm not, there's, there's no need to do the bluff thing. Because we work in different worlds. I mean, we, Jake knows a lot about the industry uh, and a side of the business that I've never even worked in. And I come from a really small indie side that Jake never worked in before we started working together. So I think there's a kind of collaboration that's like really rare and mutually beneficial, where every time we be- make a movie, both of us are kind of like, oh, I didn't know that. Totally. Wow, how'd you learn that? Yeah. And it's like we're teaching each other tricks. I would say we're only in trouble if we both run out of tricks. Can you yes. think it's then me- we're going to sit down yeah. together and be like, "What should be the next movie?" You'd be like, all "I right. don't know. I know. I know well, all your tricks." Yeah. I could <laughs> I can
2: answer one of the things for Joe, and you know, I could go on the whole thing and you know, ask his. But you know, apart from being an unbelievably talented guy and a lot of fun, uh, one of the things Joe has done for me and why it just it's it blows my mind to work with him, and it comes from his upstart, and that is it's the the business I got into was. You do your improv in Chicago, you go to New York, you try to get to UCB, you try to get a commercial agent, you try to get in the biggest movies, you try to do the game, you try to get cast, and you just keep going. And you never think, you just get a part and you take it. And while I was doing that, Joe was deconstructing what making a movie meant to him. So you have a big crew, what if we had a smaller crew? You've got two cameras, what if you had one camera? What if the actor was also the sound person? What if I did everything? Then it's you build it back up. And when I came in, he was just starting to build outside of his group and was really honest about the process. It wasn't like a lot of directors. And it's the bluff thing that fucking kills me is people don't want to talk to you real. So I'll go, oh, it seems like a fine scene. Um, why do they leave at the end and run out with their shirts off? I, mean, I, I know that you think that's the bit that's going to get you the big laugh. But why are they doing it? And you'll go, nah, trust me, I mean, it's going to work. I get it. Yeah. Why do our characters take our shirts? And they go, no, because you know, it's a whole thing. Like we got to get to the next. No, I know what you're saying. But why? And then there's a point where they're just doing the eye roll like, oh, this is so exhausting. Can you just do it? And what Joe will do is he'll break down where his thought process is. And a lot of times he's right. So then as an actor, you go like, oh, OK. Oh, you were thinking actually camera too. So you want us to run out because you want to follow us. With... Oh, that's actually really cool. And then you get to go, well, how can I help that? Do you want me to run faster? Let's talk it out. Be part of this together. Because then, what if I stopped here and he would go? Ooh, if you stop there, I can go. Back. And then you go. And then I'll lead out. And then we both give each other a thumbs up. We feel good, and now we want to nail it. And Joe is like that with every actual side of it, from the writing, creating, to shooting, and not only that, to the financing. So all the boxes are checked with me. Where he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm not. He's like, he's like, we could not only make these, we can finance them and just be the investors. And then when we go to a film festival, rather than have like our agents sell them, he's like, I think you're a good salesman. I think I'm a pretty good salesman. Why don't we sell them? And I go, because uh, there's a company that sells them for you. Yeah. And he's like, we could be that company. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know, but Joe, it doesn't work that way. And he's like, well, it could. And then with all of it with Joe, it has been like my little experiment. And I'm like, The fucking guy is 99.9% right. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, and as somebody who's also a gambler, you know, and I've talked to my wife about it. I'm like, it's fulfilling that need that I don't get doing the mummy. The mummy is a great job. I'm appreciative to have it, but there's no gamble, right? It's just take the job and do your best and try to keep up with Tom Cruise. With Joe Swambrick, every second of it, the second we come up with a new idea and he goes, Yeah, the way it'll be, we'll talk ideas. I'll then think of something. I'll write out a three-act structure, not a script, a two-page document that has 12 beats, story beats. It'll get you about 90 pages. I'll pitch him over the phone. Either he'll go, okay, which means (laughs) new, or he'll go, ooh, I like that one. Let's keep going. Then I'll send him that. Then he'll come back with something, and then we'll start writing it. Then at a certain point, he'll say, I think we can make this movie for X amount of dollars. Maybe we each put in blank, and that number is terrifying.
1: Is there like an out like a equation that you have, or not not for state secrets here? Yeah, like no, no, deep. no. I I mean, no. Well, you know, the
3: more uh, the more movies I do, and the more I sell myself, the more I learn about the business. So there's certain things that I know. Uh, you know, I roughly know what certain companies pay for certain movies and things like that. I mean, I'm always asking questions. I'm very interested in the business side of it. I never thought I would be. I didn't come up as a business person. But uh, I became a business person because I didn't want to be taken advantage of. And I think that the industry works in such a way where uh, from making drinking buddies and making Happy Christmas, which is the one I did afterwards, I learned a few fundamental lessons that I can't go back from. And those lessons uh, to me are all based on... uh, that the people who bring the value to a movie should be the people who are benefiting financially the most from it. And the equation as it runs currently in the industry is almost the opposite of you're that. You're definitely from Chicago. The most. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's what I like. but that's what he... We, it was like everything he was saying to me, I'm like, you're talking to my soul.
3: You're talking to my. You sound like you're talking to my ancestors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was like, this is unfair. It doesn't make sense to me. This is a, this is a bad equation. And the people who do the most amount of work and bring the most amount of value are sitting at the bottom of the waterfall when this thing becomes profitable. And so I was like, I'm not going to sit at the bottom anymore. I don't have to. So I was like, what does it look like if I just go ahead and move myself to the top? Because I decided to. And then I did it and it worked great. And I was like, Jake, you got to move to the top (laughs) with me. Stop sitting at the bottom.
2: And then I said, yeah, but they're all telling me I can't be part of that. (laughs) And he's like, I know. And then I went, Well, I am a fucking gambler. So what if I put X amount of dollars to the side? If I lose it, I feel like a big douchebag, but luckily I'm on New Girl. So I lost episodes 17, 18, and 19 of <laughs> season three. I'm not happy about losing three weeks. You know, say so this was a failed experiment. I did a lot of scenes that, but you know what? I gambled and I've won a lot of gambling and I've lost a lot in gambling. But what it did apart from the money is going to why working with Joe is interesting, is when you flip it like that, it changes the entire process. Because then all of a sudden you realize, again, to you know be this guy, because you're it's the art of it. Once you put your money in it, you better believe you're going to care about that product. And you better believe you go, well, what is it that we do? We're not looking to phone it in. Well, what do we like to do? And that goes to win it all. Well, I want to make a movie that and I, what I wanted to do with this money for this money that I was paying. So I wanted to sit at the Paramount theater and I wanted to watch win it all. And the guy with the long hair who carries me out, is one of my childhood best friends a guy named Nick pool, who has always been a guy I know is so funny. And I was like, I want him to be in the movie and I want him to be great. And I want a tone that feels as real as it is funny. And I don't care if anyone likes it because I know if he likes it and I like it, then that's money well spent. On, you know, money that's already house money. And so it just feels like I don't know where else in this industry I get to play this game besides with him. So when it's, will there be more? It's, well, unless I'm out of the business. I don't want to stop working with Joe. If everybody in the town and the world stops watching our stuff, we'll still make it. It'll just be like an eight grand movie (laughs) about a guy named Garrett eating M&Ms and Skittles (laughs) and getting fat.
0: (laughs) And Joe, on the flip side of that, Win It All is very much a Joe Swanberg movie, tonally, even structurally, but do you yeah. feel like you're changing as a filmmaker, not just by picking up maybe some of the things that Jake uh-huh. knows from the industry, but, you know, you've worked a lot with Netflix now. Uh-huh. The, you've worked with movie stars now. Like, Do you feel like you're changing as a director? Uh, Not
3: really. What I feel like is I'm figuring out how to take the thing that I do and get people to watch it, you know? I mean, I... It's interesting because I bottomed out. I mean, I you know I, I made my third movie, which was called Hannah Takes the Stairs, uh, got a nice amount of attention for a small indie film. And then I made a couple subsequent films, which didn't get much attention. Then I made another one called Alexander the Last, which Noah Baumbach produced and also got some nice attention. So I was sort of riding the ups and downs of uh, you know a, a very small scale of indie production But then I made several in a row that nobody saw. And I also was not learning or growing. I was like, I have maxed out what I can do in this space. So, you know, the change came honestly for my own sanity. I was like, I don't know why I would sit here and spin my wheels if I have an opportunity to grow and try something different. And so I made Drinking Buddies as an experiment, uh, which I did not know if it would be successful. I mean, I, but I, what I did know is if I just went and made another of the things I was making, I wasn't, it definitely wasn't going to be successful. And I also was not happy, you know. I was sort of like uh, having this weird feeling on set, which I had always loved being on, uh, on set. I love working with actors. I found myself there going like, I've done this shot before. I've framed this up before. I've, just, I've filmed this conversation before. Like, what am I doing here again? And so it was uh, really nice to make Drinking Buddies and feel like I wasn't changing the things I loved about filmmaking, But then when that movie came out and people were really watching it, uh, I think it was the most surprising to my group of filmmaker friends who were kind of like, that's just one of your movies. Why why this one? And I was like, well, it's interesting we made certain changes that uh, make the film more accessible, more palatable. Actually, one of the reasons why I like working with Jake so much is he was a big part of that because I was pitching a story that was very... Uh, close to what we had, but also very open-ended and sort of like treading into territory that didn't have a very strong narrative sense to it. And when Jake came onto that movie as an actor, he sat down and broke it down and was like, yeah, but what if we did this, this, and this? And I was like, those are great ideas, man. Totally. That makes a lot of sense to me. And and seems like a movie I would like. And so, uh, you know, these kinds of adjustments uh, and the the very clear before and after of like the audience size for my work before drinking buddies and after drinking buddies said everything I needed to know, because I don't want to make movies. This is, it's hard to say this because what I don't want to do is disparage, uh, the movies I was making before or the audiences that were seeing them. But what I'll say is I reached a point where I was taking movies to the same film festivals I had been to the year before and the year before that and showing them to the same nine people who I saw at the last two movies. And I was like, this is not why I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker. I've reached a certain level of success that I never thought I'd get to. I'm really grateful to be here. I don't take those film festivals for granted or those nine people who came out and saw my movies. I I I love them. But also, I was like, we could all just go get a beer and I could tell you a story. Yeah. I don't need to go through all the process of making the movie if it's just going to be <laughs> you nine guys. You're my friends. Like, let's just hang out. And so when I reached that point, it, it had to change.
1: The There's something about, there's like a certain urgency to win it all, even though it's like a very like nice summer movie and it's, everybody, people are eating outside and walking, it's like got a nice vibe to it. But I think the fact that there's this bag of money plot point that is like, it almost gives it a like a temporal urgency. like You know it's mm-hmm. not going to get right. the six months that would be, hey, I can just mm-hmm. work it off right. and it be fine. <laughs> yeah. And so when you're cutting, are you like, this is new? Like this is, Does it feel different when you're cutting something to a tempo like that almost? Yes,
3: definitely. I mean, this movie had an engine that none of the other movies have. Drinking Buddies was really fun, but, drinking, but there's nothing happening in the first five minutes of Drinking Buddies where you're like, oh, I know what's going on. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to buckle in for a relationship thing. and and like feel it out and i I mean we talked a lot about that that engine
2: so yeah there's a to there's a feeling that and this is why it goes back to the paramount so at least for my my start is i did a lot of live theater with a guy named oliver raleigh in new york and we used to write the plays ourselves and you would get in a room and every once in a while you would write something that would have a story engine and once the story would kick off you would feel the audience start nodding their heads And you would see people look at each other like, oh, I like this one. And then you could run with that. But as soon as you got off that story a little bit, you would see people lean back a little bit. And they'd be like, oh, I still like the characters. I'm having fun. But I'm not now engaged in the storytelling. And in doing these movies and in doing other indies, like when I did Safety Not Guaranteed, and it was going off, I felt people watching. And then all of a sudden, you would feel this collective, everybody's moving forward. And I was like, ooh, I like that. And in this one, we were talking about... Let's get that story and see if we can get everybody moving forward and just drive them on a story engine and just get every twist and turn so you can get everybody going up and down. And then once we have that, then make that a Swanberg movie, because what I love about Joe's movies is there is a feeling of real and tone and his look is gorgeous and all of that. I'm like, I don't want to just do a story story. Like, I don't want to do something that feels generic, but there's a lot of story points. I need it to feel like it's real, that these characters are real people, that the audience goes, that's just Jake being Jake. Great. Oh, that's just this person being this person because it feels that real to you. That's something that Joe does perfectly. But what happens if we throw a monster engine in it, which was really fun? And now we're kind of talking about the next one. We can we can keep going. You guys don't have to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then the, the, the game becomes with Joe and I, well, what happens if the engine's even bigger? Like the movie Get Out, for example. Yeah. I just saw it. Excellent, uh, in my opinion. I just thought it was perfect because that's a very, that's a really funny movie. It's a lot of fun and it has a monster of an engine. So you start, everybody knows, and then you just start driving and you would feel the whole audience bobbing their heads together where you're like, oh, yeah, we're on a roller coaster mm-hmm. and it's going to take us to that peak in that second act. And I'm like, I'm excited to see it. And I'm really excited about that idea in our collaboration and where that can go.
0: How do you guys determine success for the movie? Last night in the theater, there was a lot of laughs. It was it was a very boisterous crowd. You guys wanted to show it in that theater for that reason. But when a movie like this goes to Netflix, how do you know, other than just the people you know and love, saying, I liked the movie, how do you know that it, it worked?
3: Well, uh, I, ha- I don't know that we would have... Been so confident with it had I not done easy and felt it. And also Drinking Buddies honestly found its biggest audience on Netflix as well. I mean, it's be- it's become pretty clear to me over the last few years that the work that I'm making uh, is finding its audience there. And so uh, I I have the question as a filmmaker and Jake and I have the question as business partners. Uh, do we go where the audience is or do we make the audience come to us, And I just think it's not in our need. We're not the yeah. kind of guys that are going to like put our foot down and be like, no, you have to experience it this way. If there's a big audience over there that wants to watch it and we already made the movie we want, that makes the most sense to both have of us. Have
1: you noticed a diversification of your audience? Like have different kinds of people coming I mean, up to you?
3: Just to put this in perspective, I, I, I made movies for a decade that played in America. And if they played anywhere outside of America, it was almost always the UK and Australia. Two countries that speak English as their mm-hmm. first language. Because I was making movies that were about the nuance of language. I mean, the ways my characters were inter- interacting in those earlier movies was almost always about things they didn't say, rather than things, you know, the way a hand touched a hand. And, you know, I mean, those are my kinds of movies. I love those moments. But also, like, you know, German audience or French audience was just like, we do not know what's going on yeah. here. Subtitles are not telling us <laughs> what we need to know about what he just said. The or why, longing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> why the way he said it is a joke in America, but doesn't translate it with French subtitles. And so like making uh, easy where uh, the show goes up on the same day to 170 countries all around the world, when Netflix called me and they were like, it did really well in America. It also did really well in France and Germany. I was like, wow, I've been trying for a decade to break into that. I, I knew they would like my stuff. It's just they never had a chance to see it yeah. because a French distributor and a German distributor is like I'm not about to lose three hundred thousand dollars trying to turn French people onto Mumblecore movies. Yeah, I got better things to do with my time. <laughs> and so that Netflix, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting to me that it wasn't about the work necessarily; it was about the accessibility of the work. And the truth is, I don't have any grudge against that French distributor or German distributor. I wouldn't even put my movies out in those countries. It's a losing proposition. Yeah. But with the Netflix uh, access, those people finally had a chance to see my work and they were like, we like it. And so with Win It All, now we get to go back to them and say, like, check this one out. Yeah, that's awesome.
2: I also feel in terms of what makes, how do you know if it's a success or not? uh, Honestly, and it seems kind of weird to say, but if Joe's really happy and I'm really happy with it, I would really like people to like it. And I would really like critics to like it. But at the end of the day, you know, one day we're going to be dust anyhow. If they don't, that's okay. If the critics don't like this one, when Joe and I both watched it and then had our long talk on the phone. And I was like, I don't know, man. I love this one. And he's like, me too. And I'm like, this is the movie we talked about in my house. And we're like, absolutely. And I think this bit works. Yeah, totally. Me too. And do you think that? Yeah. And I th- And we're like, great. Good win, man. Feels great. I was kind of done with it. Yeah. I felt like great. And then Netflix came in aggressively and that was the great. So outside of that, like even doing press, it's like fun. Love to talk to people. If somebody's like, we didn't like it, but we're at the USA Today. Well, then we don't need to speak. It's okay. I'll talk to you in the next one. But if you don't like it, like it's fine. If somebody's not into it, but they want to hear our thoughts on it. I'm not here to convince you. Fuck off. I don't need to debate with you. yo. you didn't like the ending? That's okay. Talk to the next Joe. Like these movies, we're making them in this new world in 2017, which is what I love about it, is you can make content for yourself. And if people like it, then awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, it's the craziest. We get to cut out all middlemen and just make work and say, do you guys like it? Guess what it's going to cost you? Nothing. You already have a subscription.
1: (laughs) So try it. And guess what?
2: Click on it. You already pay for Netflix. You're at home. You and your lady are having a drink. Everything's good. You've watched all the Friends episodes. You're you're done with that. You go, (laughs) all right. You either know Joe through Easy and stuff, or you go, oh, it's Schmidt from New Girl. Should I watch that? (laughs) That's not Schmidt. Oh, it's the other one. Fine. Just hit it. And you start it. And if in those first few minutes you're out, I get it. But if you're in and you like it, then that's actually the fan we want who then goes, what else have they done? I'm like, oh, let's just make movies for that person and say, yeah, you want to watch this one again? You just put your baby to sleep. You got two hours before it starts crying. Here's an hour and a half.
1: Yeah. Uh, And that's a model I'm very personally excited about. Well, thank you guys so much for coming by. We love the movie. We're so happy that you guys. It's great watching. When is it
3: out? Uh, It'll be out April 7th. April
1: 7th. So. All right, well, so this will go up right around then. Yeah. Thank you so much for Thank guys. you, guys. Always Thank fun you to guys. Take Thank you. So. Really
3: appreciate it.